You may have come across the teaser question for today's sermon. It read, what can help release people from the jaws, the tyranny, the coercion of superstitions of all kinds, giving humanity a better chance of surviving and thriving with the rest of Earth's biosphere? Let's consider an answer. We all face the task of throwing off the superstitions that burden us. Many of these superstitions get installed during early childhood when those around us provide the culture's traditional conditioning. These superstitions can last a lifetime, in part because they get conditioned before we find out that perhaps we should be questioning some of the things others tell us. The need to throw off superstitions became clear to me during my science teaching. Students do not easily set aside their long ingrained superstitious accounts. And yet, discarding these superstitions must happen. Holding superstitions interferes with successful efforts to understand our human condition and to solve our human problems, be they local or global. In my experience, students find it easier to set superstitions aside when they come across evidence-based accounts that replace superstitions. Providing such evidence-based accounts was part of my job. However, what are students to do outside the classroom? What are any of us to do? What could inspire setting superstitions aside? Are there any general principles that can keep superstitions at bay? Such questions troubled me for decades, even as one general principle or law gradually took shape. This law arose from all the scientific data that humanity has accumulated over the centuries, especially the last 400 years. It is a law that shows that humanity does not actually need any superstitions. This law arose from our search, our ever ongoing search for more complete scientific answers. Thus, this law can inspire us to see beyond superstitions, to set aside superstitions. I'm speaking of what is called the law of cumulative complexity. Today we will explore a little of its application to questions about origins, origins questions about life, the universe, and everything. But let's, let's first consider what this law says. It states, the physical chemical interactions of matter and energy sometimes result in more complex structures and functions that endure and naturally interact further, resulting in an accumulating complexity. Now, that's rather intense for a nice Sunday morning. And so a little repetition can help. And you can read along. Again, this law states, the natural physical chemical interactions of matter and energy 
sometimes result in more complex structures and functions that endure and naturally interact further, resulting in an accumulating complexity. Previous phrasings were longer, but this is what remained after several years of focusing on just the needed words. For example, note that this law says sometimes result, not always result. Laws usually say always, but following additional laws of nature, the products of some interactions fail to endure, and some other interactions can reduce complexity. So sometimes result accurately describes how complexity actually, naturally, and gradually accumulates. Let's trace some benefits of this law of cumulative complexity. It distills our scientific findings so that they replace superstitious accounts. Consider origins, the origin of the universe, of planet Earth, of life, even of behavior. The possibility even exists of extending this law to accounts in many other disciplines and fields. Over the past millennia, however, our ancient superstitious answers and their contemporary counterparts for each of these origin questions have always managed to seem satisfactory to some. And many people, especially in some religions, insist that these ancient superstitious answers are the final word. Yet the range of such answers from various cultures contain many mutual contradictions among the magical and mysterious and spontaneous accounts covered in their views. Those contradictions have led many people into confusion. Some of them seek and find inspired answers from science. However, instead of considering the superstitious accounts of the origins of the universe, earth, life, our bodies, our behavior, we'll consider the scientific background. Science has provided some answers for many, many questions, including origins questions, without recourse to magical or mysterious or spontaneous events. Unlike many religious answers, people adhering to a scientific view admit right up front that their current answers for any questions are not the final word. These answers will likely continue to improve as science further develops over future millennia. Furthermore, the scientific answers to various origins questions remain consistent with each other. The resulting reduction in confusion for many diverse people from lands and cultures thousands of miles apart increases the value of scientific answers for humanity. In the last hundred years, many natural scientists have worked and succeeded at discovering increasingly deep insights in their respective fields. And yet, under the influence of often theological notions, people in general, including some scientists, continue with traditional superstitious explanations. Those usually unexamined 
unquestioned superstitious traditions, both theological and secular, which inform everyone's standard cultural upbringing, leave many people constantly too comfortable with allowing or engaging in non-natural uh, accounts. But this continuation of pre-scientific, even anti-scientific traditions may represent the most insidious, currently uncorrected intellectual error in human history. We must find ways to offset the control that this error exerts on so many people because it is interfering with their acceptance of science as the best current approach or method or resource for dealing with virtually everything, including solving our global problems within the time frame those problems allow us. One way to off offset the acceptability of non-natural accounts involves describing the general naturalness of scientific accounts. This is how the law of cumulative complexity works. It enables people to regularly apply a fundamental naturalistic account across instances of old and new scientific discoveries. The cumulative complexity law makes the naturalness of everything easier to comprehend and emotionally accept. In this way, the law of cumulative complexity helps people comprehend past, present, and growing complexities while freeing them from the superstitious burdens of those magical or mysterious or spontaneous accounts. For example, consider the origin of the universe in which we live. In reviewing the results of all the experimental work on the natural events of and after the Big Bang, one traces the complexities that naturally accumulate from the Big Bang events and on through the natural development of stars and galaxies and so on. Events like the explosive end of massive stars provide many more chemical elements and additional amounts of these elements. As later generations of stars developed, the presence of these additional elements led to accumulating complexities that usually and naturally produced planets. These processes continue today. All this happens, and we can understand it, with no need for contributions from superstitious accounts, either secular or theological. The law of cumulative complexity helps people grasp the lack of any need for superstitious accounts. Humans grasping that they can understand complex processes and events scientifically without needing to include non-natural accounts leads to better problem solving in many areas. These areas include not only humans' efforts to solve their many local, individual, social, personal, interpersonal problems, but also the many global problems currently confronting humanity, including our primary problems like overpopulation, which makes all our other problems worse. 
with less control by superstitions, we might reduce population humanely before disasters reduce population inhumanely. Continuing on, reviews of what we know from scientific research indicate that the origins of life show similar patterns, patterns of cumulative complexity. We should not be surprised if we find that on some or many planets, further developments, further accumulating complexities naturally produce an ever-expanding and increasingly complex range of different minerals and compounds. This already continues to happen on the planet we call Earth. Those minerals and compounds are both organic and inorganic from a kind of mineral or compound evolution. Actually, at least on one planet that we know of so far, Earth, such naturally produced developments accumulated further mineral and compound complexities and processes that we call life. The biological continuum for non-life and life necessarily involves considering the law of cumulative complexity because this continuum leaves no distinct line dividing non-life from life. Yet, common non-scientific accounts emphasize such a line. Various experimental outcomes continue to evoke debate about whether or not some forms are alive or nearly so or not at all. At what point would they evoke describing them as living or life? Yet, we may ask what point defines life but no such point exists. What exists is only an expanding, ever more detailed and complex area in which we observe more of the natural grading of chemical combinations and processes, more of the accumulating chemical complexities that extend along the non-life-to-life continuum. The expansion of that area on the chemical complexities continuum derives from the circumstances that the law of cumulative complexity describes. I cannot help finding it inspiring that any origin of life anywhere, on this planet or others, outside or even inside a laboratory, can be broadly understood in terms of the law of cumulative complexity which means without requiring contributions from magical or mysterious or spontaneous events. The photo shows a possible example. As complexity accumulates, continuing developmental interactions among living matter and energy produced and produces the natural but not necessarily repeatable evolution of life's physiology of, and forms and the natural details of its behavior-related processes and functions. On this planet Earth, examples of outcomes of the law of cumulative complexity in operation include the vast range of carbon-based and DNA-based life forms 
available for study, along with the extensive behavior of some life forms. And on some other planets, the complexities of life might originate and accumulate on this same or some other chemical basis. Again, completely naturally, without requiring superstitious accounts. So you can see why this law could be inspirational for my students, or for me, or for you. It makes room, not for any kind of perfect or final answer to our questions, but to the current best and applicable answers from the broad natural science activities of our cultures. And these include the natural science that studies the functional relations affecting the full range of our activities, our behaviors, one of our least understood areas, from our most overt and common behaviors like talking to our most covert and intimate behaviors like thinking and loving. In our human case, the intricacies of global problems and solutions and the joys and sorrows of our interconnected lives arise in part from our behavior and contribute to producing behavior. We can understand and deal with behavior naturalistically without superstitions, including without the invented and unmeasurable immaterial internal agents, either secular or theological, like minds, souls, psyches, or cells, which are some of our most common superstitions. Now that truly frees us. That's inspiring. All of these phenomena are cumulatively complex and all are entirely natural. Superstitions are simply not needed. Still, setting aside superstitious accounts for events does not require setting aside the valuable social functions that often occur along with such explanations in both theological and secular spheres. Some secular views suggest using the term small r religion for, for such functions. These helpful social functions, however, still benefit from some re-examination and redevelopment along lines that are congru congruent with scientific realities. For example, the supportive and emotional connections that people share in celebrating life's special occasions and dealing with life's sad and painful events can and should continue. But they would probably work better under new social institutions, not burdened with the baggage of magical or mysterious or spontaneous accounts. Scientific accounts can and will in time become imbued with the same emotional, some might say spiritual, characteristics, responses, and interactions that have always helped people support each other, particularly in love and in community. Similarly, the world's ancient literatures, theological and secular, still contain helpful stories supportive of ethical living 
This is also how later literatures down through the ages and on into the future have continued and will continue to build sagas of particular reference or relevance, some more enduring than others, to and for various cultures. The benefits of such stories may now grow stronger because their benefits no longer need to reside in reading them as if their superstitious accounts provided their value, which they don't. With the law of cumulative complexity in hand, these stories can now inspire people without misleading them with superstitions. Be inspired.